Welcome to Campaign Chemistry, where we pick the brains of creative alchemists, business wizards, and marketing geniuses behind the world's greatest brands. While the New York Times has arguably been one of the biggest success stories in the great pivot to subscription revenue, advertising still plays a significant role in the business. In fact, the two businesses fuel each other as the Times is able to tap into its massive subscriber base to create better and more targeted advertising opportunities. Joy Robbins joined the Times this spring to lead the storied publication's advertising business. Since then, she's led the Times push to launch ads on more of its properties like The Athletic and Within Wordle, and has incorporated generative AI into the Times' first-party targeting and brand suitability tools in order to add more nuance to parameters. In this episode, Robbins also chats about how the Times balances the objectives of its subscription business with those of its advertisers and shares her thoughts on the state of the media ecosystem. I'm your host, Allison Weisbrot, Editor-in-Chief of Campaign US, and you're listening to Campaign Chemistry. Hi, Joy. How are you? Hi, Allison. I'm great. I'm so excited to be here with you. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to have you because full disclosure, I'm a huge New York Times fan. Uh, I'm a subscriber to cooking and games and obviously read all my news and everything from the Times. So, you know, got to got to get my disclosures out of the way there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes two of us. <laughs> awesome. So you are chief advertising officer at the Times, which is a little bit of a different title than most people in your position have, right? Typically, it's you've had titles of chief revenue officer in the past. So talk about like what's different about your role and, and that title and, and sort of what you do at the Times. Sure. I'm really happy to. Um, so my role really comprises everything having to do with advertising globally. Everything that we do on behalf of our brand and ad agency partners, ranging from our T-brand work, so our studio work and the creative that we do on behalf of brands, to our audience insights, performance and measurement, to product marketing, to operations, which spans from ad operations through planning and account management, and of course, global sales organization as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's a lot to cover. Um, (laughs) You are almost one year into the job. How have you sort of like, you know, come in and sort of like wrapped your arms around all of that? And then also like, what has been your focus coming in and, and sort of like, what have you accomplished in the past 10 months you've been there? Sure. Well, I want to first start by saying I absolutely love this job. I feel incredibly lucky to be a part of this organization and the position that I'm in during such an exciting time for the New York Times. It's an organization I've long admired. And I think that the transformation that we are currently going through once again, particularly on our advertising side, is just really, really exciting to be a part of. I think the first thing that really struck me in my first couple of days with the Times was just how impressive of a business the team had already built. I've spent the last 20 years in various publishing organizations, all somewhere within the realm of news and journalism. And I think the strength of the Times' core offering, which more specifically is first party targeting built from the enormous amount of direct relationships we have with consumers, um, more than 100 million consumers, um, 
and over 10 million subscribers that ultimately leverages really premium formats and canvases that ultimately perform for advertisers has just allowed the times to be resilient um, and build on top of uh, a really strong foundation. And so I think really getting an understanding of the breadth of the current offering was, was sort of, was job one. Mm -hmm. Um, I spent a lot of time in market across the world, talking to both current and prospective customers, as well as a lot of time talking with our ad team members, our collaborators across the organization, just to really understand two things, what's working and where are areas for development? And I think what was really exciting to find is that the New York Times, like you said, has so many fans. People love working with the Times. People love working for the Times. And we're really, really generous with feedback. Um, and so, you know, that was really the focus over the first few months to kind of get into the into the business. And then from there, as you've probably followed, we've really been up to leveraging the broadening portfolio of the New York Times, um, everything from the addition of advertising in games and sports and cooking and shopping um, to really help round out just how much of a subscriber connection and how valuable we've become to so many more people over the last several years as part of our essential subscription strategy. Really bringing that opportunity, that comprehensive solution to the ad market has really been the other part of sort of the priority um, since I've joined. Yeah. So, so obviously the Times has been extremely, probably the most successful in building a subscription business out of any of the sort of legacy news publications. Um, the Times added 300,000 subscribers in Q4 alone. So talk about like where advertising does fit into that picture. Um, I'm sure you get this question all the time, but like, you know, coming up from a media organization myself, like we're also trying to get the balance right between advertising, subscription, traffic, paid readers. So like, talk about how you navigate that. Sure. Um, And to be honest, the strength of the subscription business and clarity of strategy of the New York Times being focused on subscriptions was a big part of why I wanted to join. Mm -hmm. Um, We've been pretty clear about our strategy to become the essential subscription for every curious person seeking to understand and engage with the world for years. Um, And what that's meant is that the first dollar in the place goes to the journalism and we're really focused on product excellence. And so that being said, advertising remains a very important part of the overall business strategy and revenue mix. And that's really illustrated by how aggressively we've been pursuing a multi-revenue stream strategy for the portfolio of brands. A big part of the opportunity I see for advertising is at the Times is our unparalleled success and our ambition for our subscription business. The ad business actually benefits tremendously from a subscriber-first strategy. It means that we've prioritized becoming a destination in order to create direct consumer relationships. 
It means that we are laser focused on creating product experiences and content that people will pay for. And it means we take a great deal of care to create those direct consumer relationships. So, you know, when it comes to the decisions we make and how they're going to impact current and prospective subscribers, you know, that that reader always comes first. And for brands, that means that we have an elevated and deeply engaged audience in a premium trusted environment. And over and over again, we see that leading to improved performance across brand metrics, both at the top and middle of the funnel. Mm -hmm. So where do like the actual advertisers fit in in that environment, right? Because you have readers who are paying to read certain things. And then obviously with that, with that payment comes an expectation, you won't be like totally bombarded by ads, right? So how do you kind of navigate that? Yeah. I mean, we've been very intentional about the way that we've designed ads into the reader experience. It means that we've kept them minimalistic. Um, But again, that really makes the performance of those ads even greater. We've made sure that they're premium. We've created these proprietary units um, called our Flex Suite that really um, kind of is a a part of the reader experience rather than something that just feels bolted alongside of it. And that's really in service to that reader, but again, really performs for the advertiser. Yeah. So what's an example of like how a brand has kind of tapped into the Times portfolio and even like your audience data and and subscriber insights to have more of an impact? Hmm. So I would say a great example is the way that we launched advertising on Wordle Mobile last summer. Um, You know, I came into the organization probably a few weeks before we were about to do this launch. And my first thought was like, oh, great, I'm going to be the person responsible for like ads on everybody's favorite game. (laughs) Um, And what's that going to look like? Uh, But what was I was so struck by was how much user testing we did um, before we even launched that ad unit to make sure that it was going to be something that didn't lead to um, game players abandoning the game and an even kind of bigger risk a brand having a negative impact um, on something like that. So when we launched these ads, um, first of all, we took great care of obviously designing that experience, but then we really thought about how could a brand tap into the way players are are engaging with Wordle. And so we actually leveraged um, the Wordle of the day for our launch partner to be an actual discount code for their service. So that was a really kind of new and unique way that we'd used um, a unit like that to actually go not even just top of funnel, not even mid funnel, but actually like getting a little bit deeper down into the funnel um, by being able to leverage uh, that wordle of the day and, and really take advantage of this habituation at scale. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. It's, I know the times a while ago moved away from programmatic advertising and everything for the offering for advertisers is super premium and, and curated. How do you like, obviously now we're in a situation where third-party cookies are going away does that sort of position the times well for that shift? Talk about how you're like gearing mm. up for that shift in advertising and how that's impacting your your advertising strategy moving forward. Of course. And I want to say, you know, I think 
programmatic advertising is still a very important component of our overall revenue mix. And what did change, however, is that we were probably one of the first, if not the first, publisher to discontinue the use of third-party cookie within our direct targeting. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I mentioned how impressed I was with the Times as business. And one of the areas that really led to this was we kind of foresaw the inevitable deprecation of the third-party cookie. And so we stopped using them years ago. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that we really have minimal exposure to the impact of Google's deprecating them later this year um, because we've we've sort of long... Uh, We've, we've, we've innovated around it already. Mm-hmm. So talk about like, what are some of those innovations around it? And like, how do you most, for the most part, transact with the advertisers mm. that you work with? Of course. So I mentioned we have more than a hundred million registered users, actually about 150 million registered users. And so what we have been able to do is um, take first party data from our subscribers, um, who obviously are incredibly engaged with us from registered users and really uh, allow ourselves to create models to be able to offer advertisers first party targeting in a really privacy forward way for the reader, because that was something that was really important to us. I talk about every decision that we make really being in service of our readership, um, and, and ensuring that we have privacy-forward first-party data practices are, are very important to us. So, you know, that we have a ton of signals that allow us to do everything from target readers by, you know, the general demographics to their content interests and their potential intent. And now we've been able to actually expand some of those first party data opportunities just by understanding what people, um, you know, what are they're doing when they're on the athletic or what they're doing when they're on wire cutter, what they're doing when they're on, um, you know, New York Times cooking. And and that starts to create signals, not just for the type of um, kind of news and business type of content or, you know, job title and things like that. But actually we're able to target parents or people who are looking to be gift givers um, and, and sort of a whole array of different uh, scenarios that really broaden the potential for us to work with different categories. Yeah. And that sort of ties back to what you were saying about the subscriber data feeding the advertising mm-hmm. business. Absolutely. What do you like, just you, you have so much experience, um, on the publisher side, how do you expect this momentous shift for the internet to impact other publishers that don't have the same access to readership and and resources as the times? Yeah. I mean, I think from a publisher perspective, look, those who haven't prioritized direct relationships with readers are probably going to feel the biggest initial impact. But that said, there are a number of ad tech solutions that are in various phases of maturation. So like the ability to target in some capacity will remain, um, which is really important to their business models and to the kind of information and journalism ecosystem overall. Um, But what third-party cookie deprecation means for advertisers, though, is like a little less talked about, but Mm -hmm. really important to consider as I think about how publishers with a great deal of first-party data, like the Times, can offer solutions. And what I mean by that is third-party cookie deprecation won't just mean the loss of signals 
in order to target, it will make it much harder to ascertain measurement and ROAS, which has been increasingly important to marketers as they decide where they're going to focus their resources. And so, you know, publishers like the Times stand to really help them understand some of that measurement, really put together some of those signals um, because we have such access to first party data. And, and when I talk about sort of priorities going forward, that measurement and performance part of the equation, particularly as marketers go into a phase where they're going to feel some um, absence of that uh, because of deprecation is really a place where I want us to be strong in our solutions. Yeah, no, for sure. I think, you know, marketers, especially as they as they are tightening their budgets right now, they're going to look for that definitive measurement. Um, how are you thinking about like, and I don't know if there's even anything you can do here, but like as the times sort of like being the leader in this space, like sort mm-hmm. of making sure that the long tail publishers, the smaller publishers out there can kind of learn from you and and take some of those learnings and adopt them to try to survive this. Yeah. I mean, listen, I think the, the survival and hopefully the ability to thrive for consequential journalistic institutions um, has been like a through line in my career and something I care deeply about. You know, as I've said, like we want the times to thrive, but we also want to see the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal and CNN also thrive. And so, and local news uh, organizations as well, right? To your point that may not have some of the resources. And so it's why we've been fairly um, open about some of the lessons that we've learned and um, kind of milestones that we've uh, hit over the years when it's come to everything from like just starting up with first party data targeting to sentiment targeting, the feels project. And we want to make sure that we're really um, you know, talking in the industry about what we're learning, not just to our advertising partners, also, but to the but to the industry and and and, and offering learnings where we can, being open to some experimentation that will ultimately benefit the entirety of the industry. Yeah, um, another area where the Times will likely have a ton of influence is in how newsrooms use generative AI, which I know is something that on the news side is already, you know, being addressed, but talk about how you're thinking about generative AI on the advertising and subscription side of the business. Absolutely. And actually, um, you know, I'd point to a article that Sarah Fisher wrote just about a week or so ago um, Mm -hmm. that actually talked about some of the experimentation that we're doing in this space. So, you know, we are experimenting with uh, GAI right now to augment what is already a fairly resilient set of targeting tools that we've built. So obviously, you know, we've talked about first party data targeting. We've talked about obviously contextual targeting. We're really experimenting with GAI as kind of an augmentation to both of those to really understand what a brand or campaign may be trying to accomplish um, and leveraging GAI to help target that then to relevant content and audiences that may not necessarily fall into what has been kind of a traditional finite demographic audience target or even contextual target. Um, It kind of takes the nuances available through understanding the the sort of um, 
the spirit of uh, the the brief uh, and 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 really think about ways to target not just about what against what has been happened in the past, which is, I think, a lot of what targeting has been. It kind of looks to the past to be able to kind of target for the future. But what we hope leveraging GAI in the future to do is really actually to do something in a bit more real time and forward looking way of being able to target for brands. Yeah. Are like advertisers testing these tools at the moment or are they like available? So we actually have a product council that are made that's made up from uh, an array of different uh, industries and brands in the industry, um, and they are actually kind of our first beta partners, if you will. So we're we're kind of taking this from alpha into a beta test, and so we are now just getting that started after the announcement. Awesome. So one of the things that you're testing generative AI for is also brand safety tools as well, right? And I know. Brand safety, talk about nuance. There's always kind of um, a a challenge, right, in targeting certain keywords that disproportionately demonetize news stories and important, important subjects. So talk about how generative AI could potentially help there. I mean, absolutely. I think we're working with uh, a number of ad tech uh, partners as well, just to ensure that, first of all, I want to use the word brand suitability instead of safety, just because I think when it comes to news, when it comes to factual, well-reported journalism, I I think safety is is the wrong word to use. And and I think what marketers really need to think about, obviously, is is suitability. But what uh, Generative AI and what some of these ad tech partners um, are really working on is to help the blunt force keyword blocking and actually understand the nuance and context of an article, thereby not inadvertently blocking um, content altogether. Because Mm -hmm. I think what the industry has gone through over the last five or six years has led to a really, really surprising and, and frankly, detrimental amount of um, overcautious block listing. Mm-hmm. And we've seen what that's done to the news and information ecosystem. And I think we, I certainly believe, and I know that my team is very focused on helping brands understand how to show up in, um, you know, certain uh, news uh, stories. But I think that the the belief that just news is a, is a universally unsafe place for brands is something, you know, I've seen some progress made, but we still have a lot of, of work to do on. Yeah, talk about that. I mean, I feel like this in the past couple of years has become, there's become a fear among brands to be within the news just because of the nature of our world. First of all, the news is really scary these days. Yeah. And also it's very easy for brands to be called out on social media. Mm-hmm. So I guess like this whole phenomenon, like what is the time is doing to kind of like dispel this, this myth among brands that news isn't a place that where they should be. Yeah. I think there's two things I would say. The first is that we want to contribute and participate in areas that are going to demonstrate the power of news and the news audience and, you know, its impact uh, on the strength, the consideration of certain brands. I think there's been a lot of research done throughout the industry over the years, but I think what we're seeing, at least in 2024, 
in the number of conversations that I've had is that there is an acceleration of really being able to demonstrate the efficacy of news for, um, for brands. The second is that I think it's really important for us to help brands and agencies understand that news is not a sort of broad brush and it is, you know, dynamic. For instance, our news report is focused on obviously breaking news and national news and political news, but we also have cultural news and business news and technology coverage and wellness coverage. And so, you know, and for a lot of other other brands, it's sports. So I think the the, the way that news has been kind of painted in this very monolithic way of news equals, you know, war and politics and polarization is kind of an unfair characterization. And so I think in addition to sort of demonstrating the impact and um, opportunity to run in news, it's also really important that brands understand that there are so many different sections and parts of a news report that, you know, isn't necessarily that sensitive um, type of news that they may want to avoid running next to. Right, right. Back to the the generative AI piece of it. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, the Times thinks a lot about copyright. There's a legal battle going with open AI right now over copyright. How do you think about like responsible use of AI on the advertising side, just being part of such a prestigious news organization where, you know, copyright, fact checking, all these things are super crucial. Like how do you apply that rigor on the advertising side? I think that where we see opportunities on the advertising side is through both augmenting what's already in place. So things like, as I mentioned, targeting, creating efficiencies for some of the more rote work that may be done. Um, You know, we see lots of opportunities, I think, across the industry to really automate some areas that um, probably take up a lot of time, but aren't necessarily, uh, you know, allowing a lot of our team members to kind of participate in the work that is is beyond um, uh, some of those rote tasks. Uh, and then finally, how can we use it as an opportunity for us to have more room for creativity and do even mm-hmm. more uh, in that space? So, you know, I think that there are a number of ways that we think about this technology as an enabler of progress. And as we've said, you know, when used responsibly, we think that this has really got the potential to be something that is incredibly helpful to the business. Yeah, so as you kind of look out, you're almost at the the one year mark. Like wh- I know that The Athletic recently launched ads in the fall. Like where else do you mm-hmm. see opportunities yeah. to bring advertising to the Times portfolio or new yeah. new opportunities for advertisers? Absolutely. Um, I mean, I think the thing that I've been really surprised by in my first 10 months here is there is a ways to go in educating the ad marketplace about the breadth of the portfolio. You know, I think that the New York Times has such a prolific brand that reminding and and familiarizing the the marketplace that, you know, we have a very, very strong sports cooking games, giant games uh, offering um, and and shopping, you know, that's just something that is going to have to be, uh, an area we focus on um, 
to make sure that there's there's awareness and adoption, frankly. When it comes to sort of areas that I'm excited about, um, you know, accelerating one, we, we've, we've got games launching. You know, we talked last, uh, last, a few weeks ago on our earnings, our homegrown game connections is now um, huge. I mean, it's, it's grown um, really, really quickly with 15 million weekly active users. Um, so that's a, a giant opportunity. And I think there are really, really creative ways that brands can think about um, tapping into the habitual engagement across games in particular. But then I think there's a lot of really exciting opportunities in ways to partner deeply with brands across um, some of the uh, some of our portfolio, like cooking, wire cutter is just now starting to talk to brands. It hadn't traditionally had advertising. Um, and now, you know, as it's grown, we are, we are really looking at creative ways to bring advertising there. Cooking again is sort of really ripe for, for some really exciting partnerships. So I think it's one of the things I've seen brands really interested in, uh, over the last six to eight months in a way that seems accelerated than I had in the past is figuring out ways to tap into cultural moments. And with the expansion of the portfolio, you know, we've always been a place where brands can come to tap into culture, but I think even more so now that we've created these giant areas that people are really passionate about and where ultimately culture is happening, everything from the Super Bowl to Thanksgiving to the Oscars, we, there's really an interesting entry point across the portfolio, not just within one that kind of um, creates uh, the canvas for a brand to to, to integrate in a really interesting and compelling way. Yeah, for sure. Looking at the digital media landscape right now, it's kind of bleak, right? Like we just had Vice shut down. Um, there was the situation with Jezebel earlier. There was the the messenger. Like, is there a sustainable model for digital media? I know the Times is pulling it off. Uh, I guess, what, what do you think about that question? You know, I think... That, as Meredith said during like Q4 and our full year 2023 earnings, you know, we are really, really confident in our uh, strategy and our opportunity. That being said, you know, the ad marketplace has been one that has been really tough to call. But I think that really remaining true to a clear strategy and one that prioritizes your audience, because at the end of the day, the audience and doing best for that audience is going to benefit any business, any revenue business you have. Um, you know, I think as long as that, that remains the center of your focus, it creates optimism for me. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I think that one area that does keep me up at night is connected to what we were talking about a few minutes ago, which is, um, that news avoidance mm -hmm. and, you know, what that means for the future of well-reported factual journalism, consequential journalism in the future, particularly as machine generated content becomes increasingly pervasive. We, the world needs these organizations that, you know, focus on uh, journalists who are there to bear witness and, that's something that I think we really need to focus on getting right in the next version of the internet. And so, 
that's the one place that I would say, you know, again, it all does come down to prioritizing the journalism, prioritizing the product, prioritizing the audiences in order to create the foundation for a strong business. But I think that that's something that we will, we will really have to reckon with as an industry. Yeah, I think so too. Well, hopefully a few brands will listen to this and uh, we can help you spread the word. (laughs) I do hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, Joy, thank you so much for your time. And thanks for joining me today. Allison, thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for listening to Campaign Chemistry. Be sure to subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts and head to campaignlive.com for all the latest news on advertising and marketing.